Hey, while you're being settled and seated, just a couple of things. Uh, Last week, we had uh, a meeting for those around 55 and older about getting together every once in a while for some fellowships and activities. It was a great meeting, but we know that obviously this time of year with summer still in and a lot of people on vacation and stuff that not all of you who wanted to maybe be a part of that were able to attend, but you would like the information about that. So here's just a reminder. There's a sign-up sheet on the info table for any of you that would like information about things coming up in that age group. Also, ladies are having a summer fun day at As You Wish Pottery Place. So also stop by the women's table for more information about that or talk to Marsha. couple other things. Don't forget, not this Tuesday, but one more Tuesday after this Tuesday on the 29th of July. Mark it on your calendars. We start back up with our refuel Bible study on Tuesday nights. We're going to be having pizza that night, and we're going to be starting a new series in the book of Acts that night that I'm really excited about. So I hope that many of you will be able to be with us on Tuesday, July the 29th. Hey, a couple other things real quick, because I don't want to do this at the end, in a sense, to spoil the the spirit of of the service at the end. Uh, But I just want to encourage you guys uh, with this. This is a good time of year to sort of push the reset button. And, and so I would just like to encourage you guys to, to realize the ministry that you guys can have even just on Sunday. And what I mean by that is this. We've, since we started our church, we've tried to encourage those that can make it out at 9.30, from 9.30 to 10, to be here to get to know each other better And maybe even greet new people as they come in. You know, what a difference it makes to be part of an atmosphere where the lobby is filled with people and as new people come and are visiting and whatever, to come into a group of people who are excited to be here and enthusiastic and who are taking the time to encourage each other. I don't know whether you ever looked at it or not, but you could have a ministry every week in this church between 930 and 10 o'clock. Just by being here and looking around and and talking to people and whatever, you just never know each week how God could use your words and your presence. And the same thing is true when we start at 10 o'clock with worship. You know, one of the things God tells us is that when we come together, we're supposed to seek to edify, build each other up and encourage each other. How much more, again, encouraging is it when people are here at 10 o'clock, they're enthusiastic about worship, they're engaged in worship like you guys are, and how much of an encouragement could you be to others to come and be a part of our worship time as well? So I just want to encourage you guys that as we get you know, closer to fall and things getting back to somewhat you know, norm, normal, that we'll just remember those things. And then one more thing, I want to just thank all of you who continue to pray about the whole land thing or buildings or whatever, and you're letting us know about pieces of property that you've seen out there that's for sale that you might think are good, that that encourages us as, as the building team. You know, like, we know that our people are still engaged. We still don't have anything, you know, solid from God yet. But I will say this. I, I thank the Lord every day for a church and for leadership in a church that isn't willing to go out there in this market, at least right now, where it seems like at least the first couple pieces of property that we pursued, they're not interested in negotiating at all, and they're interested in getting the highest value that they can. 
uh, you know, we're simply as a church not going to go into that kind of debt. And I would rather sit here at Basha for as long as we need to and continue to build up that building fund than somehow, like a lot of churches do, get impatient Stop waiting on the Lord to bring something about, getting in over our heads financially, and then putting ourselves behind the eight ball. So we're not going to do that. So thank you guys for being patient. Uh, Let's continue to pray and seek the Lord and see what happens. All right, enough of that. Let's get into the word this morning. Romans chapter 7 this morning. Romans chapter 7. I thought at one point... Uh, In fact, for a long while about dividing this chapter up, but the more I got into it, I just feel like it it would, it would just not be, uh, it it wouldn't flow right if you tried to chop this chapter up. So we're going to just look at some verses in this chapter. We're not necessarily going to go down through every verse, but you're going to get the, the primary thrust of what Paul wants to share with us here. And I want to build on what we were talking about last week at the end of Romans chapter 6. Remember, Paul's main thrust in the end of Romans 6 was this. It was a reminder to all of us as Christians that it's not primarily the big things that we do every once in a while, but it's the little things that we consistently do every day that will determine our spiritual destiny. And we've got to grab a hold of that. Because we live in a world today that's always looking for the next big thing or the big experiences to come. And they're primarily leaning on that rather than focusing on the daily disciplines of being a Christian and just being consistent in what God's called us to and realize that the cumulative effect of that over time is what really is going to make the difference in our lives. Now, with that, Obviously, one of the things then that Paul is asking all of us is how consistent is our Christian walk, our fellowship with Christ? Would we characterize it as being very consistent, somewhat consistent, or inconsistent? And why we need to build on that is because Paul now in Romans chapter 7 is going to tell us and teach us one of the main reasons why we don't have the consistency in our lives that we need to, that we should, is because we're trying to do it on our own. Instead of us relying and depending on God to do it through us, we even as a Christian are still trying to plug away and do it on our own. And when we live the Christian life that way, we're going to see a pattern of sort of a roller coaster. Where we're up and then we're down and then we're, you know, we're consistent and then we're not consistent. And that lack of consistency is going to be based again on the fact that we're trying to do it in our human effort rather than learning to do it through the power that God wants to supply to us. As I shared during our worship time this morning, think of the main theme of Romans chapter 7 this way. Think less of the power of things over you and more of the power of Christ in you. That's the message of Romans 7. Thinking less of the power of things over you and more of the power of Christ in you. With that, I want us to first look at what Paul says about the place of the law of God in Romans chapter 7. 
Again, we're not going to go through every verse in the first five verses of Romans 7. Paul's using the analogy or illustration of marriage to just illustrate his point. But his point then is really uh, given in Romans 7 verse 6. Again, speaking first about the place of the law when he says, but now we have been released from the law, literally severed or separated again, not to be lawless people, but he said, we've been separated or released from the law because we have died to what controlled us so that we may serve in the new life of the spirit and not under the old written code. Paul's saying the place of the law in our lives should not be that somehow that's primarily what's driving our life and what's empowering our life. Because we've seen already in the book of Romans, the law, the the purpose of the law of God was never given to give us strength and power to do. It was never given as a means or motivation even in our life to be able to live up to the standard of God. Again, look at it as an x-ray like you would physically. You go to a doctor, a doctor takes an x-ray. The x-ray tells us what needs corrected, what needs taken out, what what needs changed, but the x-ray itself can't do anything about it. That's exactly what the law of God is. It's our spiritual x-ray that God wants us to put, you know, his word up to our lives so that we can see the things that, that we need to allow him to work on in our lives and bring about through our spiritual growth and maturity. But focusing on the law is not the way to do it. It's through learning to live by the Spirit. Notice again in verse 6 that when God gives Christians the Spirit of God to live within them, God himself, we've got to learn less and less to focus on the law and more and more to lean, rely, and depend on the Spirit. Because the Spirit isn't going to lead us to be lawless, to be immoral, you know, No, the Spirit is going to lead us to God and to godliness and to righteousness. So we don't have to be concerned that somehow just because we're not focused on the law, that we're not going to be spiritual or that we're going to be lawless. Just the opposite is true. But it's going to be the Spirit that is that driving force and passion and power in our lives that can help bring that about, not the law itself. So that's part of the place of the law. Notice also in verse 7, he says, well, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is there something deficient in the law? And Paul says, absolutely not. A thousand times no. In fact, Paul says in verse 7, certainly I would not have known sin except through the law. In other words, Paul's saying, I wouldn't have really known where I was falling short. I wouldn't have specifically known what I needed to do or what I needed not to do if it wouldn't have been for God's law. So it's not like the law is somehow there's something wrong with the law. That's never the case. In fact, notice what he says in verse 12. He concludes then that the law is holy. The commandment is holy. The commandment is righteous and good. In fact, in verse 14, He says, we know that the law is spiritual or of God. So that's the place of the law. Again, Paul wants to make sure that we understand that there's nothing wrong with the law of God. But as Christians now who have been saved and now have the spirit of God living in us, 
It's not by focusing on the law that's going to bring about our spiritual growth, our righteousness, our spirituality. It's going to be back to verse 6. It's going to be learning to serve in the new life of the Spirit. It's going to be learned by yielding, submitting, and surrendering to the Spirit. And that word new there speaks of new in quality. A better, greater life through the Spirit that we could ever have by trying to focus on the law. In fact, again, Paul has said other places and will say again, when we focus on the law, we just get frustrated. Because we realize the things that we should do or the things that we shouldn't do. And yet when we focus on the law, instead of learning to yield and surrender to the Spirit, we end up actually coming short of the law way more than we would if we would just learn to walk in the Spirit, to yield into the Spirit. And, and I think for many Christians even today, that message is something that either turns them off or they never really learn how to walk in the Spirit. One of the reasons may be that that you grew up in a spiritual environment where it was all about a a set of rules. It was all about do's and don'ts. And so when you hear messages like this, some people get turned off. I mean, I've literally had conversations with people who've left our church because they said, you weren't talking enough about the law. You, You weren't focused enough on rules and regulations and the do's and don'ts. And therefore, you're going to end up with a group of people that just feel like they can go out and live however they want to. Because see, the flesh, the flesh wants those easy formulas. The the flesh wants those easy rules and do's and don'ts that we can sort of check off. There's nothing necessarily attractive, if you will, about living by the Spirit. Because for most of us, that's such a, a nebulous, vague thing that we just get turned off at. Just, just give me some rules to live by. And that's why people are turned off today. And they don't understand. But you'll never really experience the spiritual life apart from learning to live by the Spirit. You will be a Christian that lives your whole life, back to this maybe analogy, with training wheels on your bicycle. Yeah, the training wheels, you know, help you stay balanced. But you're never going to experience the freedom of just being out there on your bike and just going wherever you want to and taking those training wheels off. And yeah, when you start maybe riding without training wheels, like, well, at least like I did when I was a child, wasn't very good at learning how to ride a bike. Um, Sort of like driving a car, but we won't go into those stories. Um, I fell a couple times. I got scraped up. I had to learn, well, if I want to learn how to ride this thing without training wheels, i got to get back on the bike and just keep on doing it. And that's where, again, some Christians, they don't don't want to fail. They don't want to fall. They don't want to get scraped up. So give me those rules because I just want the rules. I want the do's and don'ts. And they don't realize, like what Paul is saying is, as long as you live that way, you're never really as a Christian going to experience all that God has for you. Because your spiritual life is going to be stunted after a certain point where you're trying to do it on your own and you're trying to do it by the letter of the law rather than walking in the newness of the Spirit of God. So that's the place of the law. Then Paul wants to talk to us in Romans 7 about the power of sin. 
In verse 8 of chapter 7, notice what he says. He says, but sin, in other words, he's just got done talking to us about nothing wrong with the law. But then he says, but sin that dwells within each of us, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of wrong desires. For apart from the law, sin is dead or inactive. Notice he says the same thing in verse 11. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it I died. Verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me? Absolutely not. But sin... So that it would be shown to be sin, produce death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, here's the deal. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God comes to live within us. But we also have to recognize and acknowledge this. Just because I'm a Christian and I have the Spirit of God in me, I still haven't gotten rid of the fallen nature. Because that fallen nature is, in a sense, connected to this physical body. And so the only way I'm ever going to be completely severed and separated from that sin principle that has been passed from one generation to another, as Paul taught us, ever since Adam and Eve... The only way I'm going to ever be separated from that is the day I die and lay down this physical body or the day of the rapture when Jesus comes and we who are alive are immediately changed in his presence. That's the only way. As long as we have this physical body that is going to one day physically die, that sin principle lives within us. And we've got to understand the power of that sin principle. That's what Paul's reminding us of. Because he says, here's how deep and evil and utterly sinful that sin principle is. He says, in a sense, any Christian is capable of doing anything evil. Because the sin principle still exists. See, just because I'm a Christian and I have the Holy Spirit... Paul says, but we also have sin and that sin principle that dwells in this physical body. And therefore, we've got to be aware of it. In fact, Paul says, here's how bad sin is. Not that the law is all. He said, but sin is so bad in us that we will take something as good as the law of God. And instead of using it to get better and to be better and to be more of what God wants, we actually... Sin uses the law to break God's law. In other words, oh, God says I shouldn't do that. Then the sin within us wants to rebel. The sin in us wants to to exalt self. The sin in us wants to be self-reliant and not have any help from God or anybody else. That's what sin inside of us does. And so Paul says, here's what sin will do. We've got to be aware of this. It will seize The opportunity. Notice he uses that phrase twice in verse 8 and 11. Seizing the opportunity. Sin will grab a hold of and hold on to us. That's one thing. 
And isn't that true? That's why we have habits that have, we have a hard time overcoming. That's why we have addiction. That's why we have all kinds of things. Because one of the principles of sin is, if we let the door open to this sin, and we start giving in to the desires of our physical body, rather than learning to yield to the Spirit... There will be things that grab a hold and hold on to us like a bulldog and tenaciously will not let go without a fight. And the second thing this word means is it actually was a military term in Paul's day used for armies that would be the base of operations for then sending out further military expeditions or attacks. In other words, Paul's saying, here's what sin will do. Sin will, will look for an opening... And then once we uh, give it that opening through some of the choices and decisions we make, because we're not really truly appreciating the power of sin, sin will, in a sense, plant its flag. And it will establish a base of operations by which then other sort of side attacks will continue to come at us. Paul says that's, that's how powerful sin is. That's why we've got to be aware of what we're dealing with. We've got to acknowledge that and not just, again, not be aware of reality. You know, the whole book of Romans is about reality. And the fact that if I really understand reality, it'll actually help me to get closer to God and be closer to God. It'll give me motivation because I realize I'm not messing with anything that's just going to sort of let me alone and not be aggressive and not know. I'm, I got this sin thing in my life. I'm a fallen human being. I'm saved now. I'm forgiven. As Paul's going to teach us next week, there's no condemnation from God, but God doesn't take away that sin principle when we become saved. The only way that's going to happen, folks, is when we physically die. And we're finally separated from this physical body in which that sin principle dwells. That's one of the great things as Christians we have to look forward to. Is with all the other great things about getting to heaven, one of the other great things about getting to heaven is no more struggle with that sin principle. It'll be gone. And we'll never have to worry about being tempted or, or some, you know, illicit or evil or selfish desire even creeping up. And I know for many of us, it's like, I, I can't even wrap my mind around that because I can't go an hour without something like that happening. I can't even go five minutes without something. But in heaven, that will be the way it is for all of eternity because we'll have glorified bodies. And these old physical bodies will once and for all be laid Aside. That's why for Christians who die, you know, death and all of that is really a celebration of their home going for many reasons. And one is they don't have maybe the physical struggles anymore. They also don't have the spiritual struggles anymore as well. That's the power of sin. And then Paul wants to remind us about the powerlessness of self. Because Paul is going to share with us, in a sense, here in Romans 7, his own personal testimony of even being a Christian before this, this principle, if you will, that he's teaching us here really took hold in his life. I want to begin in verse 15 of Romans chapter 7 and read these verses and listen to what Paul himself, who many Christians think is probably one of the greatest Christians who ever lived, 
But did Paul still struggle? Absolutely. Listen to the words of Paul beginning in verse 15. For I don't understand what I'm doing. Well, we could all say that many times. For I do not do what I want. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I do what I don't want, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer me doing it, but sin that lives in me. Folks, he's not trying to, he's not trying to not take responsibility for it. He's simply acknowledging here, I realize that I've got this new life of the spirit within me, but I've also got this sin principle that still exists in me. And that's what always is rearing its ugly head. Then he goes on. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, in my fallen human nature. For he says, I want to do the good. But notice very importantly what he says at the end of verse 18. I what? I cannot do it. Don't miss that. If you are inclined to underline, highlight something in your Bible, Please underline those words in Romans 7, 18. I cannot do it, Paul said. I want to do good, but I cannot do it. The word cannot means to be powerless, to be helpless, to be unable to do it. Paul says, on my own, I can't do what I want want to do. I can't even do what I know I should do. I can't do what I can't do it. And notice how many times Paul uses the word I there. I, 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 because Paul is sharing his personal experience and saying, look, first of all, let's nail down the place of the law. Nothing wrong with the law. It has a certain function within the plan of God and it does its job every time. Second of all, Paul says, though, just because I'm a Christian, I've got to acknowledge and recognize the power of sin in my life. That as long as I'm in this physical body, sin will seize the opportunity every time if I give it an opening. Third, Paul says, I can't fight that sin principle on my own. I can't overcome things on my own and the good that I know I should do and even want to do, I can't do it on my own. I'm unable. In fact, can I share with you that this is a very powerful passage and chapter that reminds all of us of the limits of education? I'm certainly not anti-education. I've had my fair share of education in my life. But we live in a world today, whether you're talking about the political world or just the world in general, that's all about if we just educate people, if we just give them more knowledge about something, they'll shape up. They'll be who they should be if we just educate. And they don't realize, the people of the world, that all the education and knowledge and understanding still does not give us as human beings the motivation to do what's right or the power to do what's right. And the same thing is true in the spiritual world. That's why just being a Christian and gaining knowledge on its own and just having a better understanding of the Bible And knowing more facts about God and spirituality and all that doesn't transfer into being a more spiritual, Christ-like person. Because there's got to be a connection. There's got to be, first of all, a motivation that I want to be that. 
And that can't come from all the education and knowledge and understanding. That's got to come from within. And for the Christian, that's got to come from the spirit, not from the flesh. Because the flesh won't ever feel that way. And secondly, I'll never have the power to even do what I want to do on my own. I will fail. I will experience defeat. I will be discouraged. I will experience frustration. Because I cannot do it. Paul. Paul said, I cannot do it. And yet somehow in 2,000 years, we as Christians have never really had that phrase hit us because we're out there trying to live the Christian life on our own. And it's not for lack of not knowing. Paul knew what he should do. And it's not for lack of trying or good intentions. Because you can read all about all those good intentions and trying that Paul shared. But he always fell flat on his face. As long as he tried to do it on his own. In fact, keep your finger there in Romans chapter 7. We're going to come right back there. And turn over to the book of Galatians for just a moment. To show you that this is not an isolated problem with Paul or with the Roman Christians. But this is a problem that's going to be a problem throughout time. Turn to Galatians chapter 3 and look at verse 3, where Paul basically is laying down the same challenge to the Galatian church, or the churches of Galatia, I should say. Notice what he says in verse 3. And I, we could do the context, but I feel like you can do that this afternoon or this week. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish, although you began with the Spirit? In other words, you started out your Christian life knowing it had to be by the Spirit. You, you couldn't get yourself saved. You had to come to a point where you, you know, let God save you. And you started out your Christian life by yielding, submitting, surrendering to the Spirit. But now notice what he says. Somewhere along the line, that changed. And he says, are you now trying to finish your Christian life by human effort? And that's the way many Christians live their life. They might even start out learning to live by the Spirit. But somewhere along the lines, they don't want to really learn how to live by the Spirit. Because, first of all, it's a lifetime process. It's something that we're going to, you know, have to just keep, again, plugging away at day after day. Well, we live in a world today where it's all about quick fix and this by this weekend. And, you know, you'll have, you'll have a transformed child by a certain day. And can I just tell you, I reject that. That is not biblical. That sets people up for frustration and disappointment. That's not the way God works. That's the world we live in, but that's not the way God works. And that's what makes learning to live by the Spirit not attractive to our flesh or in our modern age. Because we want the easy button. 
We want the quick fix. We want to be able to be handed some magic formula that's got three or four things on it that we can focus on. Don't tell me, Jeff, I've just got to learn for the rest of my life how to build a relationship with God and live in fellowship with Him and live by the Spirit. That's not attractive to me. It might not be attractive, but it's the way God said it needs to be done. It's the biblical way. Not by human effort, but by the Spirit of God. And the reason why Paul was experiencing the frustration he was, and back in Romans 7, was because there was a point where Paul was trying to live up to God's standards and what God was laying on his heart and what God told him to avoid by his own human effort. And he's sharing very honestly his own personal testimony here with the Romans because now he wants to tell them the secret that he did find that totally changed his Christian life forever. Notice back in Romans 7 what he says. In verse 23, I'll start there. He says, I see a different law in my members, warring, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me captive to the law of sin that is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Now, the word wretched is a really interesting word. It means someone who is tortured through failed attempts. Paul is where many of us have been in our Christian life. We're tortured. Because we keep trying really hard. And we keep falling flat on our face. It's not that we're not trying. And yet that's what actually leads to more and more frustration. More and more discouragement. Because we're trying really hard with all of our might. And then when we fail so miserably, we look up to God and say, God, I don't get it. I'm trying really hard to be a better Christian. And all I keep facing is failure. Paul says, well, here's what I found. You will be tortured. After failed attempt, after failed attempt, after failed attempt, which leads to that inconsistent roller coaster Christian life. Until you learn this secret. Notice what he says in verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who's going to deliver me, rescue me from this sinful body? Jesus Christ is the answer. And so when we look at the place of the law, when we look at the power of sin, and then we come to the powerlessness of self, Paul ends on an up note with the predominance of the Savior. And he's saying to all of us as Christians, here's what I learned. Here was the secret. The only one that can empower me, the only one that can deliver me, the only one that can rescue me from this body of sin and help me to find victory and to overcome and all of that in this life and the promise of the life to come is Jesus Christ. And Paul learned 
to think less of the power of things over him and more of the power of Christ within him. Which is why later on in the book of Philippians, he was able to say, I've learned that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am no longer that frustrated, defeated Christian because I have learned to totally depend and rely on Christ every day to do through me what I cannot do on my own. And I'm tired, Paul says, of trying to live the Christian life in my own human effort. I'm done with that. I'm now going to learn to live by the Spirit and by letting the Spirit carry me and empower me. And I'm going to learn to live by depending and trusting in Jesus rather than in myself. Because see, the flesh that still exists within us wants to be independent. The flesh Wants to be self-reliant. That's why Paul says there's this war that goes on. And folks, let me encourage you with this. I don't care how holy, I don't care how spiritual you or any other Christian gets. The message of the Bible is that we will all struggle with sin until we lay this physical body down. So don't think that just because you're being tempted... And that you see sin, you know, raising its ugly head and trying to pull you away from God and what is godly, that somehow you're a terrible person. No, we're just facing the reality that as long as we are in this physical body, that struggle and that war will exist. But what the message of Romans 7 is reminding us of is that when God saved us and gave us his spirit, and when we have Jesus Christ that we are joined to and glued to throughout our life, we now have a greater power than the power of sin. And that's why we can overcome in this life. Even though we still have this body that we're dragging around throughout our earthly life. We can overcome. But the only way to do that is just like we've already sung. To learn to live in total dependence and reliance on God by saying, God, I need you. I need you. Let us hear the message of the Spirit today. And let us realize once again that there's no reason for us to continue to live a Christian life of torture through failed attempts. Trying and trying and trying to be a better person. And giving it all the effort that we have. And still being disappointed. That doesn't need to happen. God placed God himself, the spirit within us to show us that there's a better way. The victory comes through relying and depending on Jesus Christ, the almighty king of kings and Lord of lords. Think less, my friends, of the power of things over you and more of the power of Christ within you. Our worship team's going to come. Just like last week, we're going to do two songs. We're going to repeat the third song that, that they did earlier, and then we're going to end with another song today. And as we stand and sing these last songs, I hope these songs will be songs that we sing from the heart to God this morning. And that all of us here 
are again reminded in a very clear way how much we need the Lord. Let's stand, please, as we sing and let's pray together. Father, thank you for this very simple reminder today. God, there was nothing in Romans chapter 7 that was very deep, if you will, theologically. Nothing that someone very, very young, a child, could not understand. And yet, Lord, so often as human beings, that flesh that still lives within us wants to do it ourselves. We're like that child that looks up to the parent and says, I do, I do, Mommy, I do, Daddy. And many times, even as Christians, we look up to God and instead of wanting or desiring or seeking His help, we say, no, God, I I got it. I do, God. I've got this on my own. And every time we do that, we're going to end in failure. God, help us to see today that learning to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is learning to be dependent upon you every minute of the day. God, go with us through this time of of rededication and recommitment and refocus and resetting our Christian lives today and help us to sing this song as we mean it today as a declaration from our heart to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.